I'm Grace Allen. And I'm Ricardo Allen. And we are The Allens. Welcome to our podcast where we share our unfiltered insights, perspective, and knowledge on this roller coaster of a ride that we call life. Ricardo Allen is down at the 42 and a half, 43. Join us as we go all in on all topics ranging from changing diapers to preparing for Super Bowl Sunday. Guns it across the middle. Ricardo Allen, the interception. 35, 30, Allen 25. Welcome to All In with the Allens. is up guys it has been a minute since i have sat down to record a solo episode and i realize it's because all my solo episodes were based upon pregnancy updates and i'm obviously no longer pregnant anymore praise jesus luna is going to be six weeks old tomorrow which is absolutely crazy in a way it feels like she's been here forever and in and in another way it feels like she was just born yesterday so I'm already getting nostalgic about the newborn days kind of like going too quickly, which is kind of crazy to say because thinking back to my pregnancy in the newborn days with Luca, I just remember feeling like I was so like in a fog and wondering like, oh my gosh, am I ever going to sleep again? Like, is my life ever going to be normal again? And then I think like the second time around with Lennon, you know, because Luca was still so young, I didn't really have time to even register what was happening. I just kind of like put my head down and we got through it. And not to mention Lennon was born during the middle of football season, which is not the best time for an NFL family to have a baby because you really are 100% on your own as a mom. So like Lenny was born, Rico was in the hospital with me from the time of her C-section, which was like 9 PM. And then he was out of the hospital by 6 AM the next day on the road to the Jets game. So I was in the hospital by myself with her and then came home and like met him at home that Sunday night after the game, like super late. So totally a tangent. But then this third time around, I think that I've realized the newborn days are what they are. Everything is a season, which is something I remember that um, an experienced mom told me in the early days with Luke and I had no idea what she was talking about. I just thought that she was like some special mother of the earth that could just embrace everything. And here I am now three kids deep realizing I know exactly what she was saying to me. She was telling me that the sleepless, sleepless nights are a season. They come and they will go. The pain of breastfeeding is a season. It will come and it will go. Like everything about raising children, I feel like at least from my experience so far is that everything's a season. And somehow once you're through it, you don't even really remember how hard or challenging or whatever it was while you were in it. So all of that to say this third time around with Luna, I have just fully embraced every single bit of it. Like she is an incredible sleeper. She is an incredible eater. Honestly, she is the easiest baby we've ever had. And, and I don't know if that's because we're more experienced as parents, like we're more laid back as parents because we've done it a few times, or if it really is just her, but even those early like first two, three weeks home from the hospital when she was waking every two hours during the night to feed, like, of course I was exhausted. But again, as I'm saying, you know that it will subside. You know that she will start sleeping better, like all babies do. So all of this to say, just really been embracing the beauty of these early days because they do grow so fast. And it's like, as soon as they're born, they just start growing, obviously. But like, 
it goes so, so quickly. And it's the most cliche thing that anyone can say is like, enjoy it because it goes quickly. But I, I honestly, I can't believe that she is six weeks old. It's completely mind blowing. So I've been talking a lot on Instagram about wanting to do a postpartum episode. And a lot of people have written in questions that you kind of want me to go over. So let me start by saying that everything on this episode and really our podcast in general is opinion. It's our experiences. Nothing is fact. Nothing is for the most part, like medically proven. So please just, when you listen to what I choose to do postpartum and what my experience has been postpartum, please just remember that that's exactly what it is. It's an experience. So what this looks like for other people might be completely opposite of what it looks like for me, but all that I can talk about is my personal experience. So listen through that frame, okay? Just so that we're on the same page. So one of the things that a lot of people wanted me to talk about was like my nutrition postpartum. So I'm obviously breastfeeding, which is something that I'm going to get to as well. But as far as my nutrition postpartum goes, I don't diet. Like I've had a lot of people asking me like, do you restrict calories? Are you like, what are you doing to lose baby weight so quickly? Which first of all, thank you very much for, acknowledging that you think that I look great. That's super kind. And every mom, that's like every mother's dream to hear that. But I have to say like a lot of that is due to my genetics. Like I'm very fortunate. And then the other part of that is that even throughout pregnancy, I never stopped what I was doing prior to being pregnant. Aside from those first 14 weeks when I had hyperemesis and was like hospitalized and could hardly even make it through a day. So that's besides those first 14 weeks of pregnancy, I ate exactly the same as I had did before pregnancy and as I am now. And I worked out the same with the modifications, obviously of like Pilates and those kinds of things. But I walked probably five days a week through my whole pregnancy and just kind of just kind of tried to keep life as normal as possible because I found that that really makes the transition of postpartum a whole lot easier mentally and physically. So as far as nutrition goes, I'm gonna be really honest. I'm probably consuming more calories and more fat now than I do or ever have before. So I avoid gassy vegetables, which is something that I didn't really learn my lesson with Luca or with Lenny because I just wanted so badly to just like eat normally again and have have the things that I wanted. And this time around, I'm realizing Luna is a much more comfortable baby because I've put more thought into, okay, everything I eat is transitioning into my milk. So for the first at least five weeks, I completely avoid things that make me gassy because if it's making me gassy as a 30 year old woman with a digestive system that's been working for 30 years, it's surely going to wreak havoc on my small little baby that's entire body is learning how to function. So as much as I want to eat like broccoli and cabbage and beans and all of like some of my favorite things, I have slowly just now started to introduce those into my diet. So They say like the early breastfeeding diet, the best thing to do is what they call like the meat and potatoes, which I don't eat a whole lot of meat. I eat chicken while I'm breastfeeding because I feel like my body needs the extra protein. I eat eggs while I'm breastfeeding and while I'm pregnant because I realize that there's actually a lot of things in eggs that my body was deficient from. So that's like an easy way to make sure that doesn't happen to me again. So I don't like eggs. I'll be very honest. Like I kind of drench them in hot sauce, not the first six weeks, but like I try to make them not taste like eggs as much as I can just to kind of like stomach them down. So early breastfeeding, I do a lot of carbs, a lot of avocados, a lot of 
nuts, anything with like omega threes and fats, because that is what transitions best and makes you get that like liquid gold breast milk and helps your baby to gain weight quicker. So if you're downing Coke and Coca-Cola, not Coke. Okay. Obviously. But if you're just like downing Coca-Cola from a gas, like a gas station, or you're going through drive-thrus and you're not being mindful about what you're eating, you're giving everything exactly to your baby. So think about it in that sense. Like, even if you want to be selfish and want to have something that's like super unhealthy, not saying like French fries, French fries are great. I'm talking more like something that's strictly chemicals. Think about, would you put that in your baby's mouth? Because essentially whatever you're eating, if you are nursing, you're giving to your child. So a little bit of a tangent, but that's just kind of the the lens that I think through when it comes to the early weeks, especially um, of breastfeeding. So avoiding gassy things, focusing more on fats. So the other thing, if you've never breastfed before, you will be starving all the time. So finding easy things to grab has made my life, especially with two other babies, a whole lot easier. So I've been like, I've been navigating, not navigating, gravitating more towards like trail mix or Costco sells these awesome. I think they're called like heavenly bites and they're made of like oatmeal and they're like a fake chocolate chip cookie, but it has a lot of like good fats and fibers. And it's like a nice, they're like a hundred calories per little nugget, which obviously, like I said, I'm, I don't count calories. I don't restrict at all. Um, I actually try to add more because your body works hard to produce breast milk and I feed on demand. So I'm constantly, everything I'm putting out through my breast milk, I try to consume again, as far as calories go. So that's nutrition. And I kind of realized I segued into breastfeeding. So let's just jump to breastfeeding next. One thing that nobody really prepared me for when it came to breastfeeding, especially being a first time mom with Luca was how uncomfortable and essentially painful. I'm not going to beat around the bush, how painful breastfeeding is in the beginning. And if, if I didn't have somebody to talk to or to ask questions to that had breastfed, I could have seen how easily it would have been for me to give up because in those initial first few days, the pain, at least for me, again, this is all my experience is very real. Like when, when my babies latch, it doesn't matter if it's the first one I've nursed, the second one or the third one, like for me, at least I'm curling my toes in pain, but it goes away. I want to say it lasts me probably that first week. And once you get through that, like now it's to the point and even week two and three, it was to the point where you weren't even sure. I wasn't even sure if the baby had latched. So it goes from being incredibly painful to something that just becomes second nature. So if you are wanting to breastfeed, or if you're currently in that early phase where you're like, I'm going to give up, I can't put my body through this, please just hold on to the hope that it will get better and reach out to people. If you are questioning, like if your baby's latches correct or different holds that you can do. There's lactation consultants. There are so many people, your pediatrician that can help you with breastfeeding. I am such an advocate for breastfeeding. I didn't realize how much I really missed it until having Luna because when I was pregnant with Lennon, I was still nursing Luca. So from Lenny weaned around one year. So from Lenny's first birthday until now nursing Luna, there was like a year and a half of where I wasn't nursing. And as great as it is to like have my body back, essentially when I wasn't nursing, there's something that's just so special about that connection and being able to provide that nourishment to your baby. So hold on to the hope that, you know, that it will get better because it will. But again, don't hesitate to reach out to people to help you. It's very normal to have no idea what you're doing. Even like this third time around, it takes a little bit of getting back into the groove. So please don't be discouraged by that at all. 
Another question that a lot of people have asked me is about drinking alcohol. So the CDC actually says that moderate alcohol consumption, meaning one drink is safe for breastfeeding mothers. And it's even safer if you wait two hours after consuming the beverage to nurse. So kind of the way that I navigate this is if I want to have a drink, which I'm gonna be very specific here, when I'm not on vacation, vacation is the only time that I really drink like hard alcohol, read between the lines, tequila. So I love a margarita on the beach, but when I'm at home in my house, I'm not just going to whip up a margarita. So I don't really drink hard alcohol unless I'm on vacation essentially is what I'm realizing I'm trying to say. So when I'm home, I'll have, I love IPA. So I'll have like an IPA at night or I'll have a glass of wine while making dinner. Sometimes I'll have an IPA by the pool in the middle of the day. It really just depends. So what I have done with all of my babies and what I try to do, sometimes I don't get it right. And I'll get to that next is I will nurse my baby. And now with Luna, it's predictable enough that she goes two to three hours between feeding. So the CDC says that it takes about two hours for the alcohol, one to two hours, depending on the level of the alcohol in the drink for it to leave your bloodstream. So the alcohol content in your body is highest 30 to 60 minutes after you've drank it. So what I always try to make sure to do is nurse my baby. As soon as my baby is fed, I'll have a drink because I know that there will be at least two hours, more than likely three hours before they want to nurse again. So by the time that baby nurses, the alcohol should be completely out of my body. And even if there's trace amounts of it, CDC says that moderate consumption, meaning one drink is, is okay. So what I also try to do is always eat while I have a drink. And then for every one drink I have, I have two massive glasses of water. So there's a whole myth about pumping and dumping, which is something I didn't learn until quite recently, to be honest. And people think that, oh, if I just dump my milk, as soon as I'm finished drinking, like the alcohol is not going to be in my milk. But the reality is that your breast milk is going to continue to to contain alcohol as long as the alcohol is in your bloodstream. So pumping and dumping doesn't essentially like speed up the process of getting the alcohol out. So as long as the alcohol is in your bloodstream, the alcohol is going to be in your milk. So obviously, like I said, that is like my foolproof plan that I use. Have a nurse, my baby, have a drink, have a lot of water, have something to eat, and then nurse my baby at least two, hopefully three hours later. Let's be honest, if Rico and I are going out for a date night, this doesn't work because if I wanna have a second glass of wine at dinner or if I'm on vacation and we're out for a date night, I'm not going to not have a second glass of alcohol because I'm going to go home and nurse. So what I do in that instance is always make sure to have a backup plan. So like when we were on vacation, we went out one night, we actually went to Luke Bryan's cigar shop, which was so fun. And then went out for an amazing dinner at the surfing deer. And I was like, this is my first time being on vacation since not being pregnant. This is the only time we're getting away for like literally as long as the eye can see because football season's right around the corner and COVID. So I was like, I'm going to enjoy myself, which I cannot recommend enough. If you're a mom, especially if you're breastfeeding after pregnancy, you have given up so many things that you love for 40 weeks and now you've had a baby and it's like, if I, I completely think you're incredible if you're not gonna have a drink because you're breastfeeding, I commend you for that. But that is not the way that I roll postpartum. So not saying it's right or like do what I do. Again, everything is my experience. So back to my story of date night is like, if I wanna have a second drink, and we're only out for like two hours, I know that it's going to take longer for that alcohol to leave my bloodstream. And more than likely, she will want to wake to nurse during the night once I get home. 
So what I'll do is as soon as we walked in, like from vacation, at least I pumped and dumped like five ounces from both sides. And then I was prepared that if she woke within five hours of me coming home, that I wasn't going to nurse her because I figure if I had two drinks, that equals four hours of alcohol in my bloodstream. I was prepared to give her a bottle of milk that I had pumped prior to leaving for dinner. The good news was she didn't wake until it was six hours after I got home. So I felt like it was safe. So again, you have to do what you're comfortable with. And that comes with everything with being a mom, like whatever you feel comfortable with as far as sleeping goes, do that. Whatever you feel comfortable with as far as pumping and dumping and consuming alcohol while breastfeeding, completely you're, it's, it's up to you. You're, you're the mom. And at the end of the day, if you make a decision that's not good, like you're the one that has to live with it. So like everything that, that I try to do, I try to research and educate myself the best that I can and then make the best educated decision based upon the knowledge that I've learned. So that is exactly how I do it. Again, like I said, it's not, it's not always foolproof. You just have to be smart about it. So enough about that. The next question that a lot of people have asked me to address is the snoo. So I love the snoo. I fully, fully endorse the snoo. I think that, that it's absolutely incredible. I will say I wrote up an entire blog post on grace-allen.com about the snoo. I actually got to interview the pediatrician who created the snoo. So there's a lot of information in that post. So if the snoo is something that you're debating upon or you want more info, please refer to that, that article and I will link it in the show notes below and just go to that. But if you just want the basics, the snoo is great. I will say early on, like those first few weeks, I don't usually turn it on because I feel like my babies are so small that like I just, again, this is preference. People come home from the hospital, put their babies right in the snoo, zip them up and it works. But for me, I like to put either like the snuggle me or the docatot or something in just to keep them a little bit cozier which the SNU does not endorse this. So if anyone from SNU is listening, please don't come for me. And I'm not endorsing that you use the SNU in any other way than it's intended to use. Again, this is just what we do. So I put the docketot in the SNU. I don't turn it on. I do that for like the first three weeks. And then once they've gotten a little bit meatier and gained some weight and have more net control and stuff, again, preference, I will take the docketot out and put the baby in the sack and turn it on. And I will say, they sleep better that way. So if you want to hit the ground running and get the most sleep, rock with the snoo from the time you come home. I will also say that I turned it on with Luna about four weeks postpartum. And for the last four nights, she has slept through the night. She didn't sleep through the night on vacation. Again, we didn't travel to snoo. We just took the docatot with, um, and she was only waking once a night. So I don't know if it's because she is gaining so much weight that she's able to go longer at night without waking to feed, which is incredible with Luca. He was 10 months old the first time he slept through the night. That was absolute craziness. And I don't know if it's because I was a first time mom and I was, I was so nervous about everything. And like, even when he was sleeping, I would wake him to feed, which everybody, everybody does things differently for me. I don't wake my babies to nurse. So I nurse them on demand back to breastfeed and nurse them on demand all day long all night long. And then I figure like their bodies will cue them when they're ready to not wake up to eat. So that's just the way that I do things. That's what I've done with, with all of them. And so Luna is now sleeping through the night. It's been three nights in a row. Um, and how I do that, which leads me into the next thing people wanted me to talk about was like, how do you get rest with a newborn and with 
two other children at home. So this is kind of the schedule that we're on right now. And again, I think if COVID wasn't a thing, we wouldn't be as flexible as we've been because the older kids would be going to school. So it would make it a little bit more important to get them to bed right on time because we'd be waking in the morning and they would be going to school because that's not happening. We've been a little bit more flexible when it comes to what sleep looks like these days. So Lennon goes to bed at 7.30 like clockwork. She's the easiest child in the world to put to sleep. We brush our teeth as a family. We say our prayers as a family and we do everything together because I'm not used to having a second set of hands with me. So the amount that Rico has been able to be home due to COVID and it being off season has been absolutely life-changing, but I know that pretty soon our life is going to go back to normal where he's not hardly going to be here. So I have to keep things the same as much as possible for me because very soon it will be me doing bedtime with the three of them on my own. So what we do is at 7.30, all three of us head upstairs, meaning Rico and I and the three kids, unless Luna's already down, which sometimes she takes like a, a nap that lasts until the older two go to bed. We don't wake her, then we just leave her and wherever she is. So the three of us head upstairs. We brush teeth in Luca's room. We change into pajamas in Luca's room. And we say our prayers in Luca's room. If we're doing a bedtime story, we'll do a bedtime story in Luca's room. Luca goes, stays in his room. Rico and I take Lennon across the hall to her room, get her to bed. And then typically Luca will come back downstairs. So sometimes he'll go to sleep at 7.30 with Lennon. And other times he doesn't and he'll come back down, which for a long time we kind of fought that because he needed to sleep because of school. But now we're way more flexible in the sense like if he's not ready for bed and he napped that day or he's not acting psychotic, we let him come downstairs and hang out with us in the evenings. And sometimes I'll be honest, he's up until nine o'clock, which that's when I head to my room, which I'm a grandmother. I know 9 p.m. Like I'm looking at my phone trying to figure out it's like a countdown for me to get in bed, but that's how I can survive during the day. So sometimes Luca will come down. He'll hang out with us. We don't let him have TV if he comes down like he has to do whatever it is that we're doing very big on that. Like no iPads. If you want to leave your room and come down at night, you need to like get your monster trucks and entertain yourself and leave your dad and I alone essentially, because that's the only time in the day that it's just Rico and I's time, which hasn't really been getting to happen lately because our life is just, it's crazy. The transition to having three kids at home and his whole work from home schedule. And you know, it's just been a little bit different, but we've really been embracing it and it's been so beautiful. So then whenever I head into sleep, into bed, which usually I head into our room. We go to bed at the same time most nights together. And it's usually a, no later than 9.30 that I'm heading to our bedroom. Most of the time I'm, I'm in bed by 9.30. Do my skincare routine, take a shower if I haven't gotten to yet that day. If I've done all, if I've taken a shower, then I'll do my skincare routine. And I try to read in bed for like 30 minutes. I'm really big about plugging my phone in before I go into our room. And I've mentioned before, we don't sleep with our phones in our bedrooms for quite a few reasons, but Firstly, because of the radiation and just like all of the stuff that comes out of a cell phone, it really disrupts your sleep and it's not healthy. So those of you that sleep with your phone under your pillow, please, if I can, if you can learn one thing from me, please stop doing that. It's so terrifying. But another thing is make sure that you turn your Bluetooth off at night. So whenever you don't need your Bluetooth on, turn your Bluetooth off because it increases the radiation and the waves and all the stuff that leaves your phone, I think by like 500%. So I'm crazy about that. Rico will tell you, even if he has his AirPods in his ears, if he is not listening to something, I'm like, take those things out of your head right now because we're not trying to fry your brain. We need you around for a very long time. We love you. So anyway, I plug my phone in before I go into our room 
I either charge it in the kitchen overnight or I'll put it like in our bathroom, which is far enough away from my bedroom, but we don't sleep with them near our bed. One, like I just mentioned for health purposes. And then two, because I find that if my phone is within an arm's reach, it's so much easier for me to just mindlessly do things that I don't need to be doing. Like nothing that I'm doing on my phone after 9 PM at night is as important as me getting that sleep because I'll be the first one to tell you my biggest fear about becoming a mother was me not getting my sleep. Like I was that girl in college that if I was out at the bars with my friends and I had a 7.30 class the next day, I was home and in bed by 11 because I had to get my eight hours of sleep. Like I don't play with that. I turn into somebody I don't wanna be. I'm a monster when I'm tired. So getting my sleep is the most important thing for me to be able to be the type of friend, the type of wife, the type of mother, and just the type of person that I want to be. If I'm not rested, it's really not fun for anybody. So there are very few nights that I am still awake past 10 PM. That's how I do it. A lot of you ask like, how do you have the energy to do all of the things that you do during the day? It's because I go to sleep early and I will say it's not fun. Like these are the days of my life where Rico and I were just having a conversation earlier this morning that we get done the things that need to get done. And that is all that happens in our day. There is not a whole lot of time for like downtime. I don't watch television. I couldn't tell you anything that's happening for the most part in the news, in the media, in pop culture. Like I'm very boring when it comes to all of that, but that is how I'm able to use my time wisely. I'm a, I'm, I will toot my own horn. I'm horn. I'm very good at time management. I don't want to say that I always have been, but it's one of the skills that has strengthened and gotten stronger as my life has gotten busier because we're only going to continue to get busier and there will only ever be 24 hours in the day. So figuring out how to make my day work for me versus work against me is something else that really helps me to be the type of human that I want to be. So from the time my feet hit the floor in the morning until I'm in my bed at night, most of the time I'm not sitting down during the day. It doesn't, it doesn't ever stop. And that's just what it is. But I will say Rico jokes that one of my superpowers is that I can fall asleep faster than anybody on the earth. And it's a hundred percent true. As soon as my head hits my pillow, I am asleep and I'm very thankful for that. But I think it's because I do the same bedtime routine every night. I get into bed for the most part at the same time every night. I don't have my phone in my hand, mindlessly scrolling to see something that's going to upset me before bed or stimulate my brain to think. Like I really go through the motions of preparing myself for sleep. And if you think about it, that's one of the keys to sleep training is for baby. One of the keys to sleep training for babies and for children is to give them something that they can anticipate so they know what's coming. We are no different. We are just large children essentially at the end of the day. So the same way that you want to prepare your children for bedtime, you deserve to do the same thing for yourself. And I can say 100% that is how I'm able to not only get through my days, but to enjoy these days and to really enjoy being home with my kids and to accomplish all of the things that need to be done in a day. I just went on a full tangent and realized I didn't even talk about what I do with Luna. So go into my room. I nurse her. I'll get into bed and I will nurse her most of the time to sleep, which she's so young, I'm not worried about like creating a bad pattern because she's really easy, like I said, but I will nurse her, burp her, give her a clean diaper, get her into her snoo, whatever time I go into bed and then I'll go and do my skincare, et cetera. And as of recently, she's waking between five and seven to feed in the morning. So she's giving me that whole stretch from like 10 PM until five, which is so beautiful and I'm so thankful for it. 
Um, and that is what is happening with her. So that is sleep. Let me pull up my show notes to see what I haven't addressed yet. Okay. So this is more questions like for the girls, if you're a guy, probably fast forward quite a few minutes here. Cause I'm talking about everything to do with your vagina after birth. Cause there were quite a few questions. So a lot of people have asked like how long I was sore for. So I can say that it was most uncomfortable for me the first three weeks. Like I was definitely sore. I was using all of my postpartum essentials. Um, I will say Frida mom makes this, these postpartum cooling pads that they're like pad liner. So it's not the pad itself. They are God's gift to postpartum. If you are a postpartum mom, this is in no way sponsored. Please stock up on those and they will be your best friend. It's very uncomfortable and those make everything so much better. So freedom mom, something pad liners is the word. I got mine on Amazon and ended up overnighting more because they were so great. So I was sore for five weeks and um, I'm not sore at all anymore. Like I feel completely normal. A lot of people asked how long did I bleed for? So this was something I wasn't prepared for as I had two C-sections prior. I did not realize how long you bleed after having a baby vaginally. So heavy bleeding was like the first seven to 10 days where I was changing pads very, very frequently. And then after that, it kind of started to level out where it was like, I'm still wearing pads. I'm going to go ahead and say that now, but they're not pads, they're panty liners. So after like those first seven to 10 days of very heavy bleeding, it kind of leveled out where I could have, you know, I wasn't changing them like every two hours. Like I was early on. It was more just like a steady, it wasn't even like a flow, but but I was still bleeding. And then around three weeks, three and a half, maybe four, it turned more into like spotting. And now I'm to the place where I go some full days without anything at all. And then other days I'm changing my panty liner like every three hours because I'm spotting just a little bit. So I do think that I'm getting to the end of the bleeding, the spotting and all of that. And like I said, Luna will be six weeks old tomorrow. So it, it has taken me the full six weeks for my body to heal, which if you think about it, your placenta, it's the wound that your placenta leaves behind in your body is is on average the size of your hand. So if you think about an open wound, the size of your hand healing, it's going to take quite a while. So bleeding after giving birth is not your vagina bleeding. It's it's your uterus healing the wound of where your placenta was essentially ripped away, which is the size of your hand. So that takes quite a while. So it's one of those things like everybody's bodies heal differently. So that's what's happening. As far as the appearance of my vagina, it is 100% back to normal. I will say within the first week postpartum, like it was, you would never know that anything came out of it, which was something I was absolutely petrified about, especially because I gave birth to a breech baby. I was mentally prepared for a crime scene down there and praise Jesus. That's not what we're rocking with. So Appearance wise, everything is 1000% back to normal. And like I said, I could not be more thankful for that. So let's caveat into placenta encapsulation because this is something I get asked about, oh my goodness, daily, daily on Instagram. So your placenta essentially takes over hormone production while you're pregnant. So if you think about it, when you give birth to your baby, you also give birth to your placenta and your placenta is the things, the thing that pretty much regulated you throughout your pregnancy. So now you have a newborn baby that needs all of your love, attention, care every minute of your day. 
and your hormones are completely out of whack because the thing that was regulating them is now gone from your body. And it takes your body a little bit of time to kind of kick back in and be like, okay, now it's my turn, pituitary gland, adrenal glands, everything to start working together again to start firing and leveling out your hormones the way that your body was prior to pregnancy. So placenta encapsulation, everybody feels differently about it. Again, I don't even know if there's anything that's been 100% proven, but what I can say is I have encapsulated with every single one of my babies and postpartum for me is, I don't want to say a breeze because that that's a far shot, but it's, I don't struggle. I don't struggle with post, thank God, postpartum depression. I don't have postpartum anxiety. I don't have baby blues. I have experienced none of those things, like not even one day worth postpartum. And I don't know if that is because of encapsulating my placenta or if I am just very fortunate because those are very, very real issues that I don't want to downplay. So saying that that stuff doesn't happen for me because I encapsulate my placenta, I can't say if I'm sure of that because I've never not done it, if that makes sense. So the benefits of encapsulating, which if you don't know what encapsulating means, essentially your placenta is steamed, which gets rid of all of the bacteria and then it's dehydrated. So like put into a dehydrator and then from there it's ground and then the whatever is ground up is put into pills. So that's what encapsulation is. And then you take them orally. I've heard that some people like blend up their placenta. I'm not even technically sure that you can do that from like a health standpoint because the encapsulation process removes like all of the bacteria and like the stuff that could make you sick. So please don't ever do that. And if you want to consume your placenta, just get it encapsulated and let somebody that's a professional do this. Like it's not one of those things that I really feel like you want to mess around with. So potential benefits, again, potential. I don't know what, you know, they can't say like X, Y, and Z has been proven, but these are the potential benefits that are listed. And I will go ahead and say, I've experienced every single one of these benefits, all three pregnancies. So I'm a believer. Increased release, increased release of oxytocin, which helps your uterus to return to its normal size and also helps bonding with your infant. So your uterus will... Um, contract while you nurse. And that's something also that, you know, people don't really talk about. It will be a little bit painful. Breastfeeding will be a little bit more painful because the baby's nursing will stimulate your uterus to contract, which is very important to get it back down to the tiny little size that it was prior to a baby. So encapsulating and consuming your placenta can help release even more oxytocin, which will speed along that process more. And then the oxytocin also helps to bond with your baby. There's an increase in CRH, which is a major stress-reducing hormone. There's a major decrease in postpartum depression and anxiety. Encapsulating your placenta also restores your iron levels in the blood, which is very important for energy and so many other things. It gives you an increase in milk production, which I joke and say, like, I produce enough milk for a small country, and I'm very, very fortunate, but I think it's, one, because I am incredibly hydrated, and it's, it's a focus every single day for me. Two, like I said, I don't restrict calories. I actually increase my calories and increase my fats. And then three, um, because of my placenta. So I've never had issues with any of those things. And again, I've encapsulated all three pregnancies. And then also the amount of energy that your placenta gives you is insane. Like I don't take my placenta pills after 3 p.m. or I will not be able to go to sleep. So I'll probably cry the day that mine are gone because they are like my superpower right now. I honestly, I cannot endorse encapsulating your placenta enough. Like it's truly, truly incredible. So 
a lot of people have asked me what, what it costs to do it. And every state I feel like is probably different, but for me, it's never cost more than $250. So I worked with a different company my first two times around. And I want to say it was like 200. And then I worked with my doula this last time around, which if you're in Atlanta and you're interested in the doula I used, make sure you listen to the episode we had in her info. Her info is listed there. So she was my doula, but she also did my encapsulation. So this time around, it cost me $250, which it's been a few years. So I think that cost just increases. So if this is something you want to do, let me just say you want to look into your hospital rules ahead of time. So I delivered at a different hospital with Luna than I did with Luca and Lenny. And my hospital with Luca and Lenny was a little bit more, um, was a little less strict on the placenta policy than the hospital I delivered Luna at. So typically you bring your own cooler to the hospital. And as soon as the placenta is delivered, it's put into the cooler and it's, it's done. Like you sign a waiver saying, this is what I want to do. You understand the risk, blah, blah, blah. And then it's in your possession and you figure out what to do. Well, this time around, my doula told me, make sure you take a cooler to the hospital when you go for your placenta. But if you listen to my birth story, everything kind of happened so quickly that that was the last thing that was on my mind to take along with Rico's jump rope, LOL. So a cooler did not come along with me to the hospital. And then, like I said, her birth progressed so quickly that honestly, and up until right before I started pushing, it didn't even cross my mind that I hadn't had the conversation with my nurse or even my doctor that I wanted to keep my placenta. So I was like in transition trying to explain like, I need my placenta, like don't let anything happen to it. If I black out, if I have to get put under whatever it is that happens, save my placenta, like it's super important. And they were like, that's fine. But our hospital policy is that you have to have a cooler and it has to be off of the property within one hour of being delivered. So that kind of put us into a, into a little bit of a buckle and thank God my babysitter's daughter lives downtown and she was able to meet Rico in the parking garage. I think it was like 45 minutes after I gave birth with a cooler so that she could take my placenta and bless her heart, Megan. She took it all the way back to our house and my doula came by and picked it up that day. So make sure that you look into hospital policy, talk with your doctor, give them a heads up so that it's as, it's as seamless as possible and not, you know, not like this rushing meeting somebody in a parking garage with a cooler and a yellow bag. Like it was, it was just really kind of funny, but so, so worth it. Like I cannot say enough encapsulate your placenta and tell everybody that you know to do it, to research it. If anyone ever has questions, I'm such an advocate for this. It's unbelievable. So how many pills you'll get out of your placenta really deter, it depends upon the size. So you never know for me, I've always had pretty big placentas. I've been really lucky in that sense too. And so this time around, I think I want to say I had like 110 um, capsules. So that's really incredible. And I have just been, I've just been taking two a day. I wake up in the morning, I take my two placenta pills, I take my two prenatal vitamins, which I'm going to continue as long as I'm nursing, and I take two spirulina tablets. And then now with like all of this COVID stuff, I've been taking two vitamin C as well. So just to try to keep myself healthy as long as we can. My family's following a similar protocol, obviously not the placenta pills, but they're doing multivitamins and increased increased vitamin C as well. So a lot of questions about postpartum depression um, I think I kind of just touched on that, but I've really been lucky in the sense of not, of not having, of not having any of that. And I think a lot of it to do, I don't want to say anything is luck, but I think it's because 
even though I'm obviously very busy, I find the little moments in the day to to do things for myself. Even if it's five minutes of just like sitting down with my devotional in the morning, that makes a difference for me. If it's sneaking away for a shower at 3.30 in the afternoon when everybody is calm, I do it. If it's getting to bed at grandma early times at night, I do it. I, f- I pay attention to the things that make me better and I pay attention to the things that make me worse. And I try to keep my better category stacked higher than the things that make me worse column, not category column. So finding time for me to go out for a walk is huge. As, as well as it, as much as it benefits me physically, I think it makes almost more of a difference for me mentally. So that is my time. Sometimes I listen to nothing at all and I just think. Other times I throw on a podcast. Yesterday I did four and a half miles and I was so tired that I listened to rap music just to like motivate me to get to get myself home because I, I at one point almost called Rico like, hey, you're gonna have to come pick me up because I cannot get home. So just finding the things that that make that make me happy, that that help me to feel better about the world right now too. Like it is such a strange time in the world where my energy can be completely zapped within the first five minutes of being awake if I if I watch the wrong thing or hear the wrong thing. And it's just it's such it's just such a, a crazy time right now. And and that leads me into I want to say thank you guys so much for all of the support that you've given Rico and I's Black White and Married in America episode. That one was really hard for us to sit down and to record and just the feedback that you guys have given us has been, has been incredible. So thank you for accepting us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you to those people in our lives that have reached out to us and just said like, Hey, we're thinking of you both right now. Like this is, this is hard for me, you know, but I know this has got to be hard, hard on you and on your family. So please know like those things are not overlooked and that stuff, it makes a difference. So check on your, check on your black friends, check on your white friends, check on your friends that are in interracial relationships and in interracial marriages. And as awkward and hard as these conversations are to have, have them like they're uncomfortable for me. And my family is interracial. It's hard for me to have these conversations sometimes that like, I understand that this is uncomfortable and I understand that this is awkward. And I understand that for a lot of people, this is the first time we've ever had to think about things like this and have conversations that are hard and uncomfortable, but this is where the change happens and it is happening. Like I have so many beautiful stories to share with you guys about our time down on 30A this last week, but I want to wait to sit down with Rico to like discuss them. Cause I think that his perception of things is really, is really special and really important. And I want him to be involved in that. But like, let me just say like, change is happening. Like we have to keep fighting. We've got to keep going. And again, another tangent, but it just, it means so much to us that you guys support us and love us. So, so thank you from the bottom of my heart and from on like from our family, it just means the world. So I think that's kind of everything that the majority of the like a summary of a lot of the questions I received. Obviously I, I wasn't able to address all of them, but I plan on doing another episode that focuses solely on comparing C-section to vaginal and then another episode that focuses solely on VBAC. So these were just more of the postpartum and general questions that I wanted to address. So thank you guys so much as always with everything. Don't hesitate to reach out to me. My messages are are so full, but I really do my best to to get to get to them. So 
always reach out, you know, ask me anything. I'm, I'm an open book. I'm here for you. We've got to stick together and, and we will, and we're going to, we're going to rock motherhood. We're going to make this world a better place and we're going to love ourselves in the meantime. So thank you again for listening. Thank you for the love. Thank you for the support. And we will talk soon. You guys know that I love to share the things that I love most with you. So today I'm really excited to talk to you about a brand that I've literally been living in during this pregnancy. The brand is called Bumpsuit. Bumpsuit is the most comfortable, like when I say comfortable, it feels like butter on your skin and stylish addition to your wardrobe. Not only for pregnancy, but for postpartum or just because. All bumpsuits are double lined to help smooth and support and they come in a full lineup of styles so that you can take that whole, what am I going to wear today thought off your plate. I'm really excited to tell you that you can use code GRACE20 for 20% off your entire purchase. If you're curious about Bumpsuit, check them out on Instagram at Bumpsuit or at www.bumpsuit.co. I'll link both below the episode. That's it for now. Thanks for tuning in. When you have a chance, rate and review. Hit subscribe to stay all in with new episodes. And if you enjoy All In with the Allens, be sure to share with a friend. In the meantime, follow along with our daily journeys on Instagram at grace.e.allen and ricardoallen37. Thanks again for joining and we'll see you soon. You. Yeah. <laughs>